Hey everyone, it's Will and James here. Welcome to the Pure Sport Project. We want to jump into the minds of people we find inspiring from all walks of life. Bringing you their stories, lessons learned along the way, and future plans. So tune in for some of them wholesome yarns. We're live. Back to the Pure Sport Project, this time with Mr. Fergus Crawley. Um, I don't want to do you a disservice and intro you and miss out things that I should say or say things that I shouldn't say, but I'll leave that up to you if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, leave it to me to do it to surface. Um, but <laughs> I class myself as a sort of hybrid athlete with a real focus on men's mental health and suicide prevention based on my own experience in the past. I've raised just shy of £100,000, agonizingly close to the £100,000 mark from November over the past three years, but just have a real focus on trying to encourage people to engage with themselves in a bit more of an introspective way and to do so through pushing their boundaries through exercise challenges broadening their training horizons etc etc so that's a bit of a top line over overview i'm sure we'll dive into things a bit more but that's as a succinct and intro as i can put out at this point yeah the king of challenges we have a we have a list here and i've been following you for a while anyway and the list is extensive and i know it doesn't stop here mm because you're a man always on a mission and a very a very good mission and one that needs needs constant sort of attack and aggression from anyone pushing it and i just want to give you a little round of applause because as someone that does a lot of physical challenges myself you're the messiah and i'm just some guy along the path so <laughs> yeah this man here miss focus crawley is an absolute weapon and yeah we are extremely extremely grateful to have you on the podcast today so i'm just giving you a brief no, thank you for having me look forward to it and uh, i don't think that's entirely fair to distance yourself from me too much mr marathon well i will just say i will try and keep up we'll see we'll see <laughs> it is it is indeed that's 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 the most important thing all uh there's, there's reasoning behind everything going on which is what makes it fulfilling and what makes it exciting ultimately for sure dollar do you want to take the yeah. mic so you mentioned november there however i've got a list of november challenges you've done but then i've also got a separate list here of other various physical challenges that you've done um now we actually met or were introduced to each other or i think you reached out to to knock back in the past because of the november challenge and that was the first one that i'm aware of however there might be ones before but that was the no, no, that, that, that is the first one for clarity is that the yeah. first one the 24 hour squat challenge tell me a bit, a bit about that one yes so spoiler alert it didn't end up being 24 hours however it, it basically set me on the path that i'm on now which is I remember it really well. I've been telling the story quite a lot recently just because it's so vivid in my in my memory. But I was um I'd been in London for about eighteen months, two years. I was working for Heineken at the time and I was amidst a policy change which basically meant I was kind of being cut off at the knees from doing the job that I was meant to be doing by internal policy, which became very frustrating. And I had been going through the motions for a couple of weeks, but just felt pretty unfulfilled by it all. And I was sitting in a cafe on the corner of Brixton Hill, salt caramel brownie and a flat white, big up. <laughs> and I opened up my laptop to crack on with some work and I just got 
pummeled by this white noise and just this real, real feeling of angst and just unhappiness, really. And I thought, right, okay, you've been here before, which we'll touch on shortly. But what what did you what were you missing last time when you when you felt like this? And that was a sense of fulfilment. So I thought, okay, what do you need to do? You need to find one. And I thought, okay, what are you good at? You're good at squatting. I'd squatted 260 kilos in competition uh, that year or the year before, I think. I've squatted 600 pounds in the gym. It was high, but who cares? Most powerlifting squats are high anyway. But I did that. So squatting was my, my forte. I thought, how can I translate that into something a bit more meaningful? And I just did some digging. I just went online. I saw that Movember had a list of statistics up. I was drawn to them because of background in rugby. It was the only obvious men's health charity that I'd ever really heard of, had any experience with, and saw that half a million men take their own lives around the world every single year. So I took that statistic, half a million, took my ability with squatting, bolt the two together, try and squat half a million kilos in 24 hours. Obviously, that's basic GCSE maths. And as I sort of thought about this decision, my friend was opening up a gym up in Edinburgh as well. So I thought, right, I'll do it up there. I'll try and make it a bit of a PR activity for that as well. And I'll just try and draw some attention to Movember whilst trying to find my own sense of fulfillment from this challenge. That was how it all began. But as I developed the conversation, put out on social media that I'm doing this for men's mental health and suicide prevention, I had so much positive interaction from people that it actually gave me the confidence to publicly share the deeper reason for why I was doing this, which was something that I had no intention of doing when I first signed up to do this. And that was ultimately suffering from two years of sustained depression whilst I was at university, bottling it up and not talking about it in any way, shape or form. I was the fear of it making me less of a man, deeming me as weak, letting down expectations of me. I basically perpetuated that stigma to the point where in May 2016, I attempted suicide. And it was another eight months after that before I even told my family about that experience. So I was very much a man of few words, a man that kept my college close to my chest, one that didn't make things easy for myself by suffering in silence. And the campaign very quickly became something that was going to be self-fulfilling for me to something that became a bit of a, a mission for me to try and share my story publicly, to try and encourage other men not to make, make the same mistakes that I did. So training for that was absolutely brutal. Did not enjoy it one bit most of the time, but there were some exciting experiences along the way. Spoke on bodybuilding.com's podcast, which given that that's where I got all the uh, possible angles from which I could hit my bicep from when I was 16, 17 on forums, that was exciting to go on. Um, and then squatted in front of 12,500 people at Twickenham Stoop and just ultimately really, really struck a chord with this community of people who were doing things for November and having these conversations I got through a trial run a month before the actual um, squat attempt itself, which was, I think I got through 126,000 kilos in five hours, bang on. So we, we had a, a regimen, a protocol of, what was it? It was 60 kilos every minute on the minute for 25 minutes, five minutes off. And then every four hours, there was going to be a half an hour break. That was the plan. So I did that for a trial run, got through got through that pretty pretty seamlessly, to be fair, wasn't too worried about it. And then a month later, the actual attempt itself came up, and yeah, just over 125,000 kilos in. After my first half an hour break, I couldn't 
hit depth at all. I had to be pushed down into depth to hit full range of motion. I actually could not squat without having 60 kilos on my back. And it was like watching a jackhammer try and get down into position. And on the second rep of that, after my first half an hour, I slightly tore my MCL and sprained my patella tendon. Um, so probably could have had a bit more of a warm up on the watt bike or something going into that. But I think there was an element of blind optimism with the first challenge in that I do think in perfect circumstances, a bit longer a training period, less adrenaline, less of a hype around it, a bit more me, myself and I just getting the task done. Things could have gone a bit differently. But as I was crying on the floor at three in the morning, having battered my legs for several hours, I didn't care. I didn't care that I'd fallen short because ultimately it had become a lot more important to me than just the task on paper. And I realized that I'd explored a, a bigger part of my life and something that could be developed from this point onwards. So whilst I was disappointed to have basically not set out to achieve what I hoped I would do, it was a learning curve that's made me a better person now and has better informed the decisions that I make from this point onwards. And I think I raised just over or just under 25 grand that year, um, which was really exciting and something I was really proud of in year one, just basically going at it with no experience, no inclination and no understanding of what I was doing other than let's see what I can make happen here. So that was a long-winded answer, but hopefully that gives enough context for future discussions as well. Yeah. I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Firstly, I just want to say thank you for having this, like the strength to share that story because there's there's too many people that suffer in silence, and you being such a good advocate for this is hugely beneficial to many. And I'm sure through the challenges you've, you've done, and I'm not going to say this lightly, you've probably probably saved lives doing that. So just just a, just to start off with that, and all through what you were saying, half of me was wincing because I was thinking how much that would suck. <laughs> Half of me was impressed, and then half of me was emotional. So, well, sorry, that's thirds actually. <laughs> and you were talking about GCSE maths. So we don't have much of that, <laughs> especially for my part. So I'll just say I'll go back into that and say thirds. Um, so, as a first challenge, that's re- that's really what gave you the bug to to carry on and do more. Um, I think I think it's one of those funny things where, from an outsider's point of view, who may not have done some kind of crazy challenge all three of us here have done our own fair share dollar recently did a 60k which has a, a big henchman crossfit functional fitness geezer is not normal and i was blessed enough to go down there and run one run with him for yeah a bit. funny but you should say that there it is was, a, there is a funny thing about it it was actually inspired by fergus because on? i was supposed to be joining fergus for one of his november challenges that's the reason i did wow. it so yeah unreal so mutual inspiration mm. we love it um but what what do you think it is about when you've done that that first challenge why people don't understand this but you miss well in terms of me i miss being so drained and in the gutter that the bit you miss most about doing the challenges is, is reaching back to that point why why would you say because i assume you feel kind of the same way why why do you think you miss the gutter because you must do you've done your list is long and extensive so what is it about being totally at say zero percent that makes you want to go back and do it yeah i think um there's a few elements to it there's 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 a few working parts and one of them goes back to what i was saying before which is it's the 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 self-fulfillment the the process has become a much a part of it as the actual end result has and that for example last year was I mean that the process for that started eleven months before I stepped foot on 
day one of the challenge um, in 2020, which we'll, we'll come to. But the the challenge I had when I was suffering from depression was that my reward system was very black and white. Um, it was based on traditional notions of success. It was based on grades. It was based on what results I was getting that would lead to what job I'd be getting, which would lead to what salary I'd be getting, which would lead to what holiday, what car, what all this, all this traditional stuff that is ultimately very damaging. So yeah, tangible. yeah, exactly. That that was what I'd been led to believe was how I could be successful and how I could be happy. And whenever I started suffering from depression, I felt like I was failing miserably because I wasn't serving any of those end results. So what powerlifting gave me was a very black and white reward system where if I went in and hit a PB, tick, that's a big success. And it came from a place of hard work. It came from a, it was so simple. I mean, all it was was hard work equals output. That output gives you a sense of fulfillment through the success. And I think these challenges have just become a bigger version of that in the sense that I like the creative element to it. I like thinking about how can I make the best version of this idea I've got in my head? How can I bring people together for it? How can I broaden the messaging? How can I reach more people? And then when it actually comes to the training, there's just a, you'll know, there's just a big journey of self-discovery that you go on through every session, every setback, everything that you thought you were prepared for, but actually weren't. It's a very humbling experience from start to finish. And I think by the time you actually come to the experience itself, which as we'll all be aware, it, it, you, you'll go into it better prepared than you thought you would be because there's more going on than you thought there would be. And I really enjoy the sense of feeling something come together and then experiencing that simple reward system where there's no guesswork. There's no, oh, if you'd done this differently, it could have equaled X, it could, it could have equaled Y. I just enjoy the process of the problem solving of how do I make this happen? How do I best prepare for that? And then when it does happen, how am I going to navigate the bullshit that gets thrown my way? And whatever happens at the end is all big, one big learning curve. And I know that I'm a better person in my day-to-day -day life, a better person in terms of my my own self-management, my own perspective, my own ongoing state of mental well-being because of these things. So I'm just constantly looking to develop these so that I can learn more about myself, learn more about the process, and it's something I enjoy, ultimately. I enjoy being in the hole because I learn more about myself when I'm in the hole than I do when I'm out of it. And I think that's something that everybody can empathise with in one way or another, um, but there is a there is a relative scale to the whole, which I think is something that I need to need to probably put on the table now. In the sense that what might seem incredibly challenging to one person isn't the same as it is to you. A marathon might be the most challenging thing in the world to somebody at one point, but once you've got that first marathon out of the way, suddenly another five miles on top of that doesn't seem all that challenging. Or you can be dull and you can just skip marathon and go straight to sixty k. But it's, it's things like that is that now 60K, that as a number won't seem as intimidating, which means that when you face the 100, which you will at some point, I'll convince you on that, then you'll learn more lessons as you go because you'll be better prepared based on the previous experiences. And I think there's too much of a tendency in fitness, too much of a tendency in male approach to things to just want to go all in from the get-go. Whereas there is joy, there is pleasure, there is experience in the process as much as there is in the end result. And that's what I enjoy the most about the projects. Awesome. How did you train? Could, these challenges that you do, they're kind of, 
the first that the first time anyone's ever done something like this. So there's no, I feel like there's no blueprint for, you know, squatting for 24 hours. It's not a training program. If you're going to run a marathon, there's, you know, there's heaps of training programs out there and you choose the one and then you follow it and then you build yourself up to a marathon. But for something like squatting for 24 hours, how do you go about planning for and training and like your nutrition and your recovery? How did you, how did you plan that? Yeah. So, I mean, I say again, I didn't, I didn't get through the allotted time, but I got through six hours comfortably in my trial run and got to the end of it and thought, all right, we're in good position here. I mean, being able to squat 60 kilos for sets of 10 for 50 sets in an hour is something that I built up to. And is something that I can't even fathom now, but we got there basically through stripping it back to the bare bones, which is me and my coach, Johnny, we looked at what am I good at? I'm good at squatting. I've got high top end strength. That doesn't need to be as high as it is now to be able to get this done. You've got that base. So if we keep the strength up up high, what we need to do is bring up your work capacity, your aerobic capacity, and your tolerance for volume and your ability to recover between those rest periods, those outputs, so that you can actually go back into the next set without being completely blasted. So phase one was basically just really bringing up my aerobic capacity. So I went from doing six weightlifting sessions a week with some low intensity or high intensity cardio bolted onto the end to threshold runs to aerobic sort of long steady state base work on Saturdays slowly developed into up to six hours of running at 140 heart rate, stopping every 15 minutes to do 50 air squats, which wasn't that much fun around Clapham common. I felt like a bit of a dick. Um, but just little things like that. It was basically bring up my aerobic base, bring my strength base down or bring it or keep as much of it as I possibly can improve my low body work capacity to the point where I can tolerate volume and recover as quickly as possible which basically meant doing a lot of squats under an elevated heart rate so some session examples were I'd have I'd have sets of 15 at 150 kilos or something straight onto intervals on the watt bike I have five rounds of three sets of squats three rounds of um, assault bike stuff like that. So it's just everything with an elevated heart rate because that meant that my recovery would improve over time. And the work capacity came from the aerobic stuff, implementing the air squats on the runs, just doing stupid amounts of walking lunging volume over time, which is something that I've stuck with as I've seen how valuable that has become. But as you say, there was no blueprint. So it was just a big process of trial and error. And I did start to feel things improving. And I think where I started to feel really confident was I had... What was it? I think it was a hundred. It was a hundred sets of ten at eighty kilos, about eight weeks out with ninety seconds rest between. And I got through that, and it was a piece of piss. Genuinely, the ninety seconds felt like more rest than I needed. A hundred so, sets. <laughs> yeah. This is this is GVT squared. Like yeah, it's just this, so this much is, volume. This is um this is a previous <laughs> era of German volume training. I think this was back when <laughs> they were uh, they were really championing things and twisting elements of the Olympics. I think. But um, it was, yeah, it was disgusting. But I finished that session quite, quite, just quite curious as to how it had felt fine. But all it was was translating a strength base into an aerobic base, managing volume so that I didn't tip over on either of those things, and then incrementally building that to the point where my work capacity could take it in my lower body. Um, so it meant dropping down upper body volume, um, reducing non-specific volume as we went on, and then just seeing what happened with a few few test weekends as we went. If it was working, keep doing more of that. If it wasn't, change things up. Um, 
but yeah, I wouldn't say there's one way of doing it. That's the way we approached it. It kind of worked to a point where it also didn't work, but I say again, with the, with these challenges, there needs to be, when there's, when there's so many variables going into something of that scale, you need to prepare as best you can for all the variables that are going to get thrown at you. And sometimes one of the variables might not go your way. And that's just something that's part of the process. Need to accept, mm-hmm. learn from, move on. If it was something you could have changed, oh well, learn from it. Go again if you want to. Not something I want to do again, but I definitely learned from it. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's just the, the, the bigger lesson is how to balance the aerobic work alongside the strength work. And that's what I've carried through into all my training from this point onwards. Awesome. I've been sat here shaking my head at basically everything you've been yeah. saying. The the training sounds, I know that the actual application of doing what you're doing in 24 hours was obviously horrific and it ended in injury, but just, just the onus to take that upon yourself, not have a plan, well, not have something you can, you can read up on and to implement that every day is totally insane to me and I applaud you for it. And I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's mate, to be fair, if, if you said to it, if you said it to me now, I'd want nothing to do with it again. Although Sam Briggs did put that thing up the other day and I was like, Oh god, there was a time where I could have done that with ease. The third the, the she put she did twenty twenty thousand pounds worth of squats in ten minutes and said the benchmark for blokes would be thirty thousand um pounds in ten minutes. And I did I think in one of my training sessions I did about twenty four and a half, twenty five thousand as part of a training session. Whereas now I think I do one set of 12 at 100 kilos and just about keel over. <laughs> hey, there's something about being hybrid. You're ready, you're ready for yeah. anything. 30,000 pounds of squats in 10 minutes is a bit intimidating though. But we'll, uh, I'm, I'm seeing if I'm capable of it over the next couple of weeks, put it that way. <laughs> I, don't well, think, I don't think I've done that in the last 10 years. I think from past <laughs> experience of looking at the things that you've done, I don't think you back down from a challenge, so... If you put your mind to it, I'm pretty sure you'll probably do that if you really wanted to. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I really want to though, because I know what it feels like. But um, I'm just at the moment, my training is just trying to build work capacity in the relevant spaces again. Where I'm lacking is a bit of the aerobic base that I had because Project Vertical ruined me for about six weeks to the point where any any heart rate stuff over 120, I was borderline having panic attacks, palpitations. I was just ruined. It didn't make any sense. I, I could squat 180 kilos for reps, but if you put me on a watt bike at 150 watts, I'd just about have a heart attack. It was really odd. I, I, I don't know physiologically why that was the case, but it, the irony was I finished Project Vertical with the best and highest and most efficient aerobic base I've ever had, but couldn't do anything with it because I was bed bound. Um, so right now I'm just trying to focus on getting that up whilst keeping my strength incrementally improving. Um, I'm just trying to, yeah, trying to stay at, powerlifting level strength and improve my triathlon efficiency in the first six months of this year so if if, if yeah well if, the good news the good news for me is i sent you a message the other day via instagram yeah i really liked your response by the way because it echoes exactly how i respond to that kind of thing there is a <laughs> we're going to build your aerobic base let's do it one session hopefully. fast track the next six months <laughs> <laughs> yeah straight in <laughs> so we're doing um an ultra x challenge it's called dawn to dusk and it's as far as you can travel in a team of three in 12 hours you can either run or walk or you can bike um i've got fergus in for the running part <laughs> and the way the way i presented it to him was quite simple i think i just sent you uh sent you exactly what it was and i was like do you want to be on my team and his response was for fuck's sake 
And as soon as I heard that, I know it's a yes, because <laughs> the way our minds work, when you see something horrific and physically challenging, you know you don't want to do it. But if someone asks you if you want to do it in your head, you're like, you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to do it. It's going to be horrendous. So your natural thing is to go, for fuck's sake, because you know you're already into it. Yeah, yeah I, I, I so. sighed. I saw yeah. the message. I was like, oh, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. sooner than we expected, but right, let's find a location. That track will be free. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> Just, oh, God. I might have wrote my brother into that as well, so uh, we, we shall see. We Great. shall see. <laughs> uh, right, let's get back, let's get back to it because I'm finding way too funny. <laughs> okay, so that's like, I think for most people, that's a big enough achievement. However, that's one of three Movember challenges you've done. Um, so the second one, the 13 hour, what would you call it? 13 hour workout? 13 hour session with the boys, I think it really was. <laughs> it yeah. was, um, no, part, part two was, because uh, I realized I couldn't really exceed attempt, well, Given that I was injured, given that I was recovering from that in the first first section of 2019, um, I thought, okay, I'll I'll try and do more in the month rather than one big event. So on the first of November 2019, I bodyweight lunged 6,890 meters to represent the UK and Republic of Ireland suicide rate, which, as far as I'm aware, I mean, there's not much resource on this. There isn't exactly a uh, governing board of bodyweight lunging international but as far as i'm aware that is the furthest anyone has body weight lunged to date it's, it's a very niche sport yeah. but i can uh, i can see it developing in eastern europe over the next couple of years um genuinely and then on the... it's a lot harder than people think i lunged a, ma- uh, a mile once and i was like it's a mile it's fine like how long does it take to run a mile oh my god it is so hard just to keep lunging your legs are just in bits so the fact that you did 6,000, how many meters was it? 6,900. But then I, um, I just, I just made it 7k as a round number afterwards as a, just cause psychologically I had to do that. So it's 6,890 meters to represent the UK and Republic of Ireland suicide rate in 2018. And yeah, I just steadily built up to that over Fridays. I think I started it. It was a 200 meter track at an indoor gym in the Northwest where I was staying at the time. And uh, one Friday, it was half an hour. No, it was one Friday, it was one kilometer. And then it just went 500 meters extra every week up until 6K. So every Friday evening, I was getting closer and closer to the closing time of the gym. And I was lunging my way around this track. And uh, yeah, just resenting the movement more and more and more and more. But I say again, the amount of adaptation that came from it, not just in my lunging ability, but in my efficiency in the hills on the bike, stuff like that. It was, it was pretty insane how, um, how many rewards came from doing that. And I, uh, I think I got to, it was basically the, the it was 20, 20 second, 20 lunges on 10 seconds off for as long as it took to get the distances done. And that was, uh, that was a sweet spot that I hit on in the end, but yeah, that was brutal. And that was part one. Part two was a 13 hour workout at wit with 13 men to represent the 13 male suicides a day in 2018 and i think actually statistics on social media at the moment are referring to the old figures from 2017 which is 84 male death by suicide a week and 12 deaths by suicide in men per day which is updated if you actually look at the figures and divide it by the relative proportions of time so just 
to reinforce that things are getting worse because of the state of the world in which we live. I'm not, I'm not sort of criticising anyone for working within the wrong, wrong statistics, but when the statistics came out, it was quite harrowing for me to know that things had gotten worse since I'd announced the challenge to actually doing it. So it was originally a 12-hour workout with 12 men, and then we thought best to adjust it to 13 and 13 because of the relative change. So that was that was on the 17th of November, and that was that, that was actually a lot of fun in the end. It was just a really good example of a lot of guys coming together for a common cause. We raised just a, we raised around twenty five grand in one day, I think, as a collective, which was amazing. Um, really, really good group. Really, really supportive from Wit. Everybody helped each other through it, and it was very much a message for fight through these battles together. You're not alone, and even if someone's struggling, you've got a support network around you to carry you through it. And then on the 29th and 30th of November, I ran 94 miles from Loch Lomond to Edinburgh to represent 94 male suicides a week in 2018. And that was 22 hours and 14 minutes, I believe it was. And I'd organised a sort of 100-person mental health event at Murrayfield for when I came in from Loch Lomond at about 10 a.m. on the Saturday morning as well. So that was just a really nice sort of culmination of all the work that had gone to that point to to bring it together. And I think that year until it was about £32,500. So I didn't do bigger challenges, but I did more of them in a concentrated period of time. So that was uh, year number two. It's incredible. Honestly, like the, the stuff you do just honestly blows my mind. Um, yeah. And from personal experience, I find that on the day of like doing the challenge isn't the isn't really the hard bit i find it's the the process of getting yourself there the the training the repetitive kind of getting up doing the stuff that people don't see how do you so like physically you prepare yourself but then how do you mentally prepare yourself for these challenges yeah so there's actually there's actually a few techniques that my coach and i implement for for me we do it with clients we do it for other people and recommend it is Ultimately, with, I mean, with ultras and stuff especially, because I'm training for other things, I can't just bash out 100-mile weeks consistently because it would tip me over with my recovery for any resistance training, the lunging, that was a bit of an issue, um, et cetera, et cetera. But what we need to do is we try and need to implement other training methods around the end goal. So I think my highest volume week before the 94-miler was 72 miles, and that was purely because I had a tempo run and a 54-mile trial run from Glasgow to Edinburgh overnight. But there's a good example. So the trial run was 54 miles from Glasgow to Edinburgh along the canal, but we made it overnight, 10 p.m. till 8 a.m. was what I ended up doing, and it was like eight eight minutes past eight I got in. And we did that overnight purely because I'd be sleep-deprived, I'd be on my own, I'd be self-supported. I wouldn't be able to access anyone immediately if I needed help, which sounds reckless, but we did have sort of reinforcements if needed, but it was basically baptism by fire, make the mistakes here, and you'll be better prepared for when you come to this section of the run further down the line. So there was every every challenge I've done, whether it's an Ironman, whether it's a marathon, whatever it is, I will always mimic that as much as I can about a month out. So I did a full Ironman self-supported the month before my Ironman in 2019. Um, the... Biggest weekend, I had two big weekends before the 94 miler actually. So I had the overnight from Glasgow to Edinburgh. And again, like doing that overnight on my own with eight kilos of kit 
jackets, water, food on my back was brutal, like significantly harder in my mind than it was the actual event itself, just because I didn't have any human connection to make me feel better. I had to worry about my own support. I had to worry about carrying my food on me. So I had to be space efficient. I couldn't just think, right, I want the donut. I'll nail a donut because I didn't have anyone on the end of the phone that I could call to get me a donut. For example, I think that was actually an internal conversation I had at one point, to be fair. But it's making things more difficult around the training to make the event itself feel easier. So, for example, I consistently never, ever run with headphones because headphones make the run feel more comfortable than it otherwise is. So I use my low-intensity runs as an opportunity to just kind of reflect in my own head and fill the time because a three, four, five-hour low-intensity steady-state run is a lot of time that you need to be comfortable with your own head. And if you feel crippled or paralyzed by not having access to headphones, then that's a weakness that needs to be sort of addressed. And I actually kept headphones as a trick up my sleeve for if I was really struggling on the ultra, and I did put them in at about 75 miles in. So that was something that I kept up my sleeve. They did run out because they hadn't been on charge the whole time. But nonetheless, that was that was a tactic that I had in play. Um, but I think it's a conversation I've had recently is that you, you, there, needs, there needs to be a bigger reasoning behind why you're doing these things. Otherwise, you're not going to get up early. You're not going to do the harder training sessions. You're not going to give it your all. You're going to get inside your own head and say, oh, my calf's giving me a bit of niggle. Maybe I should call it there, 20 miles short, just in case, you know. You need a, you need a bigger a bigger reason, a bigger a bigger purpose behind what you're doing. It can't just be chasing statistics, chasing ego. I mean, if you want to do an ultra for the sake of doing an ultra, that's fantastic because it was a journey of self-discovery to go on. But you need to learn to process the bigger picture behind what you're doing into the training process. Otherwise, it'll make it much more difficult. And I think a mistake I've seen a lot of people make recently is they've kind of almost skipped the hard parts and thought they'll just jump straight into the difficult bit with the actual event itself. But you can't just rack 250 kilos and squat the bar because you're stubborn. You need to build up to that. You need to work up towards that. You need to add some specificity. And I think putting yourself through difficult situations before the event itself is really quite important to make it easier, make you feel more comfortable when you get to the start line because adrenaline is something that can shaft you as well. I mean, it was a huge, huge problem for me with the squat challenge was I had so much adrenaline when I started that when it all left my body, I looked like Casper the ghost. I was shaking like mad. I was throwing up. It was awful. And that that was something that definitely had an effect on me getting injured, I think, in the end. But that was, again, because I, somewhat naively, somewhat optimistically, I hadn't experienced that up until this point. So if I was doing it again, I would have tried to add a little bit more adrenaline to the mix beforehand, maybe a warm-up event or something like that. I don't know. But you need to you need to look at the end goal. You need to work backwards. And then you need to try and track some key points along the way to give yourself way markers, waypoints to feel like you're really making progress towards the end, the end point. And at the end of the day, if you're not enjoying it, if it's not something that you really truly care about, or you're not doing it for a reason that's genuine or meaningful to you, you're not going to get out of bed at five in the morning to go and do the long hours, do the slow, steady, impatient training that's going to get you to the end point. So I'd encourage everybody to push their boundaries as much as they can, but to not follow what other people are doing necessarily to, to to carve their own way with what's important to them because I've I've found ultra endurance to be really important for me but I tend to do it on foot some people might do it on the bike some people might walk it some people might want to do mega metcons for 24 hours whatever it is 
I think um, if you can try and find a bigger a bigger calling for yourself, it'll make make those harder sessions, those harder weeks, those more challenging moments a lot easier for you. Hmm. I think I, I think I asked you this last year when you did your it's another challenge your 49 hour uh, Zwift bike ride but I think I sent you at a and a on Instagram and I think it was one of the questions that I sent through saying what was mentally the hardest thing you've ever done in terms of your challenge and I think it was what you've just mentioned there whereas where you had these headphones as a backup and then they you use them because you got to the point where in that challenge where you thought I need something to to keep me going and then the headphones were out of battery. Yeah. What did you do then? Because like you've got to the point there where you thought, I need to do something to get me through this, and then that's failed. So what did you do? Yeah, so this is um I was listening to a podcast the other day where it kind of came up. I can't remember what it was, but it was um basically the fear that it was on habit stacking actually. So basically if you put all these habits in place and then all of a sudden one changes, you lose access to one, then the whole stack can collapse and you're suddenly in a really negative position. That's kind of what happened to me here because we were so rigid in planning, so rigid in analyzing what can go wrong, how do we alleviate that situation, etc. that when we, we didn't necessarily account for what happens if our backup plans go wrong because then everything falls apart. <laughs> and I remember it was the point. So from, from Glasgow through to Edinburgh, there were basically natural points where the car could meet me every 10k give or take and I was cruising about 12 minute mile pace the whole way through um on foot so that would have been about an hour and 10 minutes give or take and basically the whole way through 10k 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 and I had a support runner that joined us in Glasgow to join me for certain stretches and the way it had been worked out is we planned ahead where Craig would be with me on what stretch and then there was this one point from I can't remember. I think it was Cadder Wharf, which won't mean anything to anyone, but for this, it was about 10k east of Glasgow to Linlithgow, which is it was about 21 kilometres, and it was going to be about three to four hours of work. And there was no natural break point in the middle for the car, and it was the longest stretch where we didn't think Craig would be able to be with me the whole time. So we isolated ahead of time. That is where I'm going to need headphones. That's where I'm going to need a big feed beforehand. And then I'd just set off. I'd said goodbye to Craig, goodbye to Johnny, goodbye to Doug, who was supporting me. I was about a mile in, Lord of the Rings audiobook going, classic. And headphones die. And at that point, I'm like, oh, God's sake. So I'm relying on human connection, conversation, headphones, caffeine, food, all these little tricks up my sleeve that I now all of a sudden don't have access to. And then... After about 10, 15 minutes, the internal dialogue started. Right, when you get to, when you get to Linlithgow, you'll have done three marathons. That's enough. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna think less of you if you just call it there. Three marathons is more than one, more than anyone will ever do. That's enough to justify raising the money. People will understand if you call it short. Like, how can you how can you find their way out of this here? And that dialogue got worse and worse and worse and worse as we went on. And I kept moving, kept moving. Um. I went to put my Garmin on charge. I had a portable battery in my backpack as well. I went to put that on charge. And as I as I took my backpack off, it was about minus five degrees at this point, And my gel was frozen. So the thing I'd gone to eat was frozen. At this point, I was about to just start punching trees and <laughs> saying things incoherently to nobody. And that was the problem. I was like, there's nobody for me to be pissed off with here. It's just me. And 
this dirty canal to my right. Like, I was just so existentially pissed off. And then I managed to get some food on board. I had like a really borderline rock hard banana. Didn't enjoy that. So that was another thing that I didn't have. And I was about five miles out from the Lithgow and I'd made the decision. I was like, I'm done. Like, that's it. When I get here, I'm getting in the car. I'm going to sleep. I'm going home. This is shit. And then I got to Lithgow, fully amped up on being done. That's it. Signing off. And I just had a bit of chit chat with people. Got handed a white chocolate cookie. Had six minutes of sleep. I got up and I was like, right, let's crack on. Because I had somebody with me again. I had somebody sort of be like, oh, Headphones didn't work, that's a bit of shit. And I'm like, right, I know, bit of shit, isn't it? And then all of a sudden I was so much better just because, I don't say problem shared is a problem hard, but I just had that sense of community, that sense of common purpose, and that was all I needed to bring me out of that hole. I think if we're bringing it back to the whole point of the reason why I do these things is that is exactly the position I was in when I was suffering from depression, was I was constantly having that negative internal dialogue, but there was never the human connection, the camaraderie, the community at the end that helped pull me out of it. So, again, like, if we're going to break it down to its base elements, we planned as rigidly ahead of time as we could. One of those things went wrong, and that's where things got really, really tough. So there's, there's, there's swings and roundabouts in terms of how much you can plan and how much you just need to be ready to adapt to. And I think the bigger lesson I took from that, Ron, was, and something I've carried with me forwards, is when something goes wrong that you planned for, thought you'd got right, the best thing you can do is just acknowledge you got it wrong and just move on rather than think what would you have done differently because there's nothing you can change at that point. And it comes back to the same old social media tribe of control what you can. You can only control what you controllables and it, it flies around all over the place but that is probably the most objective truth that comes to play at the moment in the situation we're in with these sort of challenges. If you can't do anything about it at that point in time, move on, find a way to keep moving forward rather than dwelling on what could have gone, gone differently. Because all you're going to do is you're going to stagnate, and the longer you stagnate, the worse things will get. So, the whole the whole message behind that was keep putting one foot in the one foot in front of the other. And once I managed to do that, once I managed to reconnect with the guys at Linlithgow, twenty miles later, whatever it was, everything was okay again. So, support networks, contingency planning, these are all things that we've got up our sleeve, but we need to we need to tap into them when we need to. And I bet. I bet for you, well, I can say it, you, you wouldn't want to change those miles where yeah. everything went wrong because you learned so much from it. And there's, I don't know if you know the guy, yeah. Jocko Willink. He's got a really, really cool YouTube video. I don't know when it was actually recorded or whose podcast he said it on, but it's his, it's his thing, Good, where his reaction to, to anything, especially if it's wrong, yeah. is yeah, good. Yeah. And some, someone in his troop would come, to, come with him with a problem. And it's just, and it's good. There's, you have, you all, all of a sudden have this big opportunity to learn from something. If shit went right all the time, we'd be a bunch of wet wipes and we'd get nothing done. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it, that that's how I feel about things now. But it's taken me two, two and a half years of taking on these bigger challenges to actually be comfortable with those ideas. And would I have done things differently looking back now in the position I am? Yes. But would I be in the position I am now if I hadn't made those mistakes? No. So obstacles are an excellent opportunity to overcome. And while sometimes they might seem crushing and incredibly challenging, this isn't just in endurance activities, this is anything. It's an opportunity for you to develop yourself to get over them. And then you'll be a different person on the other side of it. And those little 
tiny wins will add up to a to a significant amount of change over a long period of time. Nice. Unreal. Okay. <laughs> Lessons for everyone. Yeah. So we're going to go on to the third Movember challenge. Yeah. Third, <laughs> right. Probably the, in my opinion, probably the biggest one of the three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So part part three. I feel like <laughs> General <laughs> Tolkien here, Lord of the Rings trilogy, the big one. Return of the King. Um, so part three was, the logic behind it was just trying to think of something that could captivate people's imagination because I am acutely aware that there are diminishing returns in this for me there are there's only so much money I'm going to be able to extract from people that know me that follow me that interact with me before they start thinking well I mean he's done enough here you can pass the baton on etc and whilst I'm very passionate about continuing to push this message I need to look at things realistically which is that I'm not going to be able to keep incrementally adding more and more onto these challenges as years go on I'm not going to be incrementally able to extract more and more money for charity from people because that's that's not the spirit of what's going on here. It's about pushing the message out there. And I thought, okay, I need I need one big final thing that people can relate to and understand. So marathons. Ross Ross Edgley's done one pulling a car. People will swim them. I'd considered lunging one. Realised that was a bad idea. Moved on. Um, someone's probably done it with a plane somewhere. Who knows? But then I thought, has anyone ever done one up the way? Obviously. And the answer was no. Nobody had, because that's a really stupid idea, as I will explain quickly. But um, the logic was basically, how can I find a way to accumulate the height of a marathon? Because people understand the concept of a marathon. People understand the concept of vertical versus horizontal. So I think that's something that will engage new people, which is important. That that was... I'm, I'm wanting to put a message out there. I'm wanting to share my story with new people. And the only way I can do that is by continuously engaging with new people. That that is the objective reality with which I'm faced. So I thought, okay, I need to, I need to bring on, bring on people that will understand. I love the mountains. I take a lot of mental solitude in the mountains myself. How can I incorporate that? I looked at doing a full moon row around and thought, no, that won't work. That won't work. And then decided Ben Nevis, iconic mountain. A lot of people have done it. A lot of people understand it. And if you couple that with the concept of a marathon, that's something that the the majority of people will be able to conceptually understand. So at that point, I phoned Johnny, my coach, and said, right, this is what I'm thinking. And he thought, okay, okay. He, he, he'll never tell me something stupid. He'll just kind of smile and nod and be like, right, let's process this here and, and move forwards. And a week later, after we discussed that, he decided well, I'd like to be in because the whole point of this message is that you are stronger fighting through these things together. And that is exactly what we're trying to put across. So I thought, yeah, you're dead right. The more that we can fight through this as a unit, the more we can put the message out there. So we struck on the idea of trying to complete the world's first vertical marathon from um, basically zero meters up to 26,000, sorry, no, 42,200 meters worth of elevation by continuously ascending and descending Ben Nevis. We had enough budget, enough time away from Johnny's Got Four Kids. I need to work within working holiday allocation hours. So we tried to do it within 11 days from the 1st of November through to the 11th, trying to finish at um, 11 a.m. on Remembrance Day to try and honour some of the amazing brands that we worked with that were had a military background. And we came up with a solution, got as much training done as we could, and basically turned up to Ben Nevis 
on the 30th of October, 31st of October, sorry, and we were faced with Storm... A- Aiden or Adrian? Aiden. Aiden. Aiden, yeah. Aiden, Aiden, yeah. So we, we were sitting in a cafe the day before we went to start. We were originally meant to start at midnight on the 1st of November. We were going to get through four summits of Ben Nevis, summits and descents of Ben Nevis in what would have been about 20, 21, 22 hours, get into a sleeping pattern the following day and then try and hit triples the remaining. We'd done a triple in training, pretty stress-free, to be fair. So we were basing all of our calculations off that. And... Ultimately, the weather, the degradation, all these variables that I've spoken about that can go wrong started to rapidly go wrong. And we were on the back foot from the front because of the storm. So getting two done on day one in up to 85, 90, 100 mile an hour winds at the top, loads of snow, minus 15, minus 19, up to minus 25 at the summit with wind chill, etc. So it was brutal on day one, absolutely soul-destroyingly brutal. And we came down the stairs on day two just completely perplexed at how minced we felt. But we were looking at it as, we've only done two, how do we feel so minced? Because we'd accounted for all the things that could go wrong, i.e. the weather and whatnot, but we hadn't necessarily accounted for the impact that would have on the time, the stress, the fatigue, the quality of sleep. If we were only getting three hours sleep, if we had an easy day, that'd be very different to if we'd been absolutely battered around and then had three hours sleep, because that's as good as nothing. So all these things going on, but... I'll, I'll, I'll sort of skip through the 11 days, but the premise was we were trying to encourage people to climb their own mountain by continuously facing our own. So the vertical marathon, the concept of the marathon was purely there for people to engage with the project. Yes, it was a nice athletic pursuit to chase after, but ultimately that wasn't really what we were there for. We stopped caring about that quite quickly, but everybody has mountains to face in their own day-to-day lives. I've got mine. You guys will have yours. People listening will have their own. And we wanted to try and use the project as a way of encouraging people to to face their own in their own day-to-day lives. And that could be anything from getting out of bed in the morning, trying a new recipe, to spending 35 grand and deciding to go and climb Everest. Whatever it is, anything in between, it's all relative depending on the individual. And we very quickly realized that all we had to do with the project was just continuously show up. And the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life is continuously get out of bed at 3.45 in the morning every day during those 11 days because I was just exhausted, barely slept, was in so much pain, didn't want to eat any food, just wanted to go home, just wanted to stay in bed, just wanted to sleep. And every morning at 3.45, my alarm went off and I just had to wrestle, knowing that if I didn't get get out of bed immediately, the day was going to be even harder because I knew, I knew that I was going to get out of bed, but I just didn't want to. So every decision that I made was completely counterintuitive because all it did was make things harder for me. And about day three, day four, day five, I started to realize actually once I was an hour onto the bend and I got out of bed, I'd eaten, et cetera, I was, I was always, every morning I felt pretty good and I was just ecstatic to be out there again. Caffeine had obviously hit. I was back with people. I was laughing, all this stuff. And then day four, day five, day six, getting out of bed was a bit easier because I knew just over the horizon was that point where I'd start to enjoy things again. And we tried as best we could to try and convey this to the public with actually we set out to do one thing. We've had to rework the plan. We've had to deal with things that have been thrown at us that we can't control. And we've had to just focus on doing what we can to keep showing up each and every day. And I think that was the essence of the project. That's what we did. We got through to the 11th day, having completed 21 summits of the Bend, I think. And that equated to about 210 miles 
about 28,000 meters of elevation, and yeah, we were just we were just ruined. I mean, at that point, medically, we were being told to take the afternoon off and deal with crepitus here, stuff like that, just because any the the balance of work versus recovery was too sync. In that all the work we were doing, we were just overspilling where we could come back from for the next day at that point. So if we'd set out to do it in 14 days and spread it across that way, maybe we could have achieved the athletic pursuit. Maybe. I don't really care at this point. What we aimed to do was to encourage people to climb their own mountain, engage with the cause, engage with the meaning behind it. And I think people did that really well. And we raised just under 50 grand, I think, which is very exciting. And... It became a, 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 not afraid, a life-changing experience for me in the sense that I had a lot of time to think up there. We were on the mountain for about 12 to 14 hours a day. A lot of time. Some of the most beautiful scenery I've ever seen. No summit. No summit was the same as another one. It was like a different planet, different scenery every time we got to the top. Crying our eyes out at points, sharing experiences with people we never thought we'd meet. Had people travelling from all over the place to come join us. People doing things all over the UK to, to support it. It was it was very very almost spiritually fulfilling for me. Um, I had, yeah, really positive feedback from people climbing their own mountain, facing their own battles, making changes in their lives. So big success in my mind. Whatever whatever the output was athletically, I don't really care because. We still put in as much of an effort as we possibly could, and that's what it was. It was it was when we so easily could have tapped out. We uh, we learned the lesson that what matters was not showing up to the point of pummeling ourselves into oblivion, but showing up and doing what we could as the people that we are each and every day. Um, which yeah, is quite a philosophical way of evaluating it, but that's that's how it felt. Sleep deprived, nine days, nine days deep. But um, yeah, it was it was a hard one. It was a hard one, and uh, I think it was the one where the message was most easily understood and people engaged with it um, in the most relatable way. I think the concept of the mountain is something we can all understand, and I think this time around, I was really pleased with how people engaged and interacted with that concept. So yeah, happy. Happy with the three years, even though it's not been an easy ride every step of the way. Well, just touching on that, I remember watching your uh, the YouTube um, film of it and being totally engrossed with it. And one thing I remember messaging you afterwards about it was um, was was a good takeaway for me um, was just the strength you showed in vulnerability. Remember that was that moment when you when you'd come down. And the doctor was telling you you couldn't go up again the, the start of that morning, and I, I can I can understand that battle you have as a man trying to be trying to be macho, and you could have you could have said even you could have said I'm going to go out and do it anyway, and you could have totally fucked yourself up and then not been able to go go out the next day, and th- there was a huge lesson for me there because there are times in in these challenges where your ego overtakes the message. And the message always has to be at the top of the priority, which you totally showed in that instant and many instances on that challenge. And it's just it's just a thing, the thing for men in, in general and and women to sort of drop your ego sometimes and understand that you're at your strongest if you're being vulnerable and truthful. And that's how you can often get out of a bad situation. Yeah, hundred percent. So for me, on that was 
was was incredible to see and there was another point that actually made me cry and I, I want you just 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 to touch on it a bit is when um when the elderly gentleman joined you at the top of the summit oh, I, was was I was tearing up big time but if you can just if you can just jump yeah in. so for context nick gardner he's 82 years old and he is besotted with his wife she sadly is in full-time care with alzheimer's and osteoporosis and nick decided basically midway through last year that he was in a miserable situation. He misses his wife. He's in and out of care. It's brutal for him. And it's soul-destroying for him. He'll, he'll tell you these things himself. And he decided, I can sit back. I can let this defeat me for the rest of my life. Or I can, to quote him, start something that I probably won't finish, but I'll enjoy along the way. And that really resonated with me when we were about 250 metres from the summit of the Ben. And he... He just so confidently, as if you'd be completely stupid not to agree with him, was he just said, I've just realised that I'm happiest and that I have so much to gain from just being in the hills. And that was it. We were expecting sort of a follow-up to that where he just kind of unpacked what that meant to him. But the, the simplicity was, awful situation, takes the first step to something that scares the shit out of him does something that he knows is really positive for him and has a really good impact on his life, continuously does it. That was it. And that, that was his coping mechanism for an otherwise really negative situation. And he, um, so he's committed to a full round of the Monroes, which for those that don't know are the 282 mountains in Scotland over 3,000 feet. So there are, yeah, 282 of them all over the place. I mean, they start in sort of lowland, uh, the Shrossocks and Persia and things and go all the way up to not far from where you finished your John O'Groats adventure. And 282, the quickest it's ever been done, somebody broke it last year, Doddy Campbell did it in 32 days, which is insane. But Nick's committed to do it within 1,200 days at 82 years old. And he doesn't care how he does it. He doesn't care how quickly he does it. He just loves spending time in the hills because that's his way of being at peace with the situation that he's in. And what was... I, I, I don't know why. I can't tell you why. He inspires me so much more than other people do. I, I, uh, inspiration is not something I really draw from too many situations because I try to be, I try to find it within myself for the right reasons. But and I feel like inspiration can often be conflated with comparison, which is a potentially negative thing. But I, I think it's just the confidence and the faith to just think, "Fuck it, I'm in a bad situation. I'm 82 years old. I'm going to take the first step on something that I don't need to do." that might actually be brutal, might actually be negative, but I'm going to give it a bash. And just that confidence at his age was amazing to see. And he was, every group we walked past, he had these little business cards where he just stopped and gave them the salesman spiel on, I'm Nick, I'm doing this because of this, and this is where you can donate. And it was just beautiful to see. It's, it's just become his life. It's become his life, the project has. And he's uh, he's drafted in his family to do his social media management for him. He's got a bloody contract with Jack Wolfskin. It's amazing. The whole thing is absolutely beautiful to watch unfold. And I, I knew, I knew about a third, uh, with a third of the way to go before to the top. I said to Johnny, I'm like, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry like fuck at the top. I just know that. <laughs> I said to the cameraman, Brody, I was like, Brody, I'm going to cry. He was like, oh, good, about fucking time. And then um, <laughs> we, we just got up to the top and he just, he, he just, 
he wasn't saying anything profound. He wasn't saying anything emotional. But I just had so much respect for the man, and it resonated with me with me because just the simplicity behind his approach to things just makes everybody else's problems seem pretty insignificant. And also, it gives you confidence that there's often a simpler way out of them than you might initially perceive. He he, he was crying because just how much he loves his wife, and I, I think empathising with. I can't imagine how horrible the situation that is at his age. Um, he lives on his own in very, very rural Scotland, so it must be a big change, a real challenge for him. And he's he's taken a negative and turned it into a positive, and he's having an impact on other people along the way, which I think is just beautiful to see. And there is zero ego involved at all, which I think is why it was so amazing. And yeah, I got a fair few messages from people saying that they they were really emotionally challenged by that point. But yeah, I was I was gone. I was gone for a good a good hour or so up there. <laughs> I believe it because, well, like I said, just seeing a small clip of it was. To clarify for anyone, it's a Nick's Monroe challenge on on Instagram, and I think he's raised his fundraising total from ten grand to twenty eight thousand two hundred grand. No, that'd be a lot of money. Twenty eight thousand two hundred pounds, which was my suggestion because the two hundred eighty two Monroes. So um, I hope he gets there. I, I have no doubt he will, having seen his salesman tactics. But fingers crossed, the Monroes can open again, so he can uh, he can get back to. He should, he should probably be moving to used cars, to be fair, based on what I saw from him. <laughs> Unbelievable, and and it was one of those things you you didn't know he was. Going no, to we actually we actually did. We um we arranged it. Yeah, yeah. So I oh, um, did? Okay. I reached out to them ahead of time, basically saying, "Look, I'd love if we could link up the two projects together because." I want to meet Nick and we are going to be here for 11 days. So there's not too much organization involved, but um, it was all, I mean, the, res- the response I got was Nick's 82. We need to be very conscious of the weather and he needs to manage it around his, his care for Janet, his wife. So yeah, we, we got a message from Sally, his daughter saying, yeah, on this day, we'll, we'll enter be there. And we, we basically managed the whole day around trying to be at the summit with him, which actually meant that that morning we didn't we didn't fully descend we went down to the lake and back up and then back down which was for refueling meant we needed to carry more on our person and stuff like that so it was um it was a challenging day in its own way but one that was definitely worth the additional challenge yeah, that's awesome one of the things i wanted to ask you about because i know i spoke to you a fair bit during the challenge and after the challenge as well is how do you cope with afterwards because you've got this big challenge looming and you do it and on the day you've got the adrenaline you've got the motivation to do it once the event has finished afterwards what is your mindset afterwards because now you don't have these big things you're working towards that's done it's out the way you don't have the you know the people encouraging you to do things you're kind of just back to being by yourself again how did you deal with after the event each time Yep. So year one, I was catapulted pretty aggressively back into what I can now recognize as depression. And that would just came from not understanding or being able to anticipate the bounce back that would I'd experience. I, I just didn't, didn't know that'd be a thing. I mean, logically speaking, you can, you can understand why, but yeah, it was, um, I did my first challenge on December the 12th in, which was my birthday in 2018. And for most of December, I was just miserable, really, really quite miserable. Um, drinking a lot, just felt like I just had to socialise all the time because I've been so restrictive the first half of the year, the, the second half of 2018, sorry. Um, and I think 
drinking and just not really having a training plan plus not really caring that much about sleep what I was eating because I quote unquote deserved the time off actually became quite a negative pattern for me and then it became quite hard to break until about midway through January but once I got out of that I kind of reflected on it and thought okay that's quite a logical decline you experience there and I think that's something you can carry forward so in 2019 I made sure that following on from when I finished, I knew what I needed to accomplish to get the ball rolling for 2020. So whilst there was still a, a conversation going on around the November thing, I'd had a week of sort of not really training, eating like I was on a mission for diabetes and just kind of enjoying some alcohol without going mental like I did the year before. The the wheels started turning for next year's November project and then we were into the new year and then I was back into the swing of thing with work and I hadn't really experienced that decline. But equally, it had been a drip-fed month where I had one challenge into the next, into the next, and it had been a very obvious build-up to that that event at Morrowfield felt like a really climactic point for the entire thing. So it kind of felt like it came to a much more natural conclusion, um, which was beneficial. And then this year, I knew, I was like, right, this is 11 months of work. This is 11 months of getting up at 4.45 so you can get into the hills before work. This was the first three months of the year I was commuting to and from Edinburgh and London. So I was training three times a day to get my volume in. I had to get the bus into work because trains from Wandsworth Town weren't even running at that point, stuff like that. So I very much managed my life around this project. So it was a huge part of what I was doing. So I knew there was going to be a big come down effect here. What I hadn't accounted for, however, was just how physiologically affected I was going to be because I knew, I mean, I've got a few businesses I'm launching in March when I exit full-time employment that I'd got the wheels sort of, I'd started thinking about when I was going to make that transition before November. I hadn't made the decision that I was going to do that in as, as early as I am now in 2021 beforehand, but I just started thinking about this, these projects. I thought, right, you need something to get your teeth stuck into as soon as you come down off that hill because you'll decline hard and fast otherwise. So I had those things in place. I had, it was almost like I had the, the exam questions laid out in front of me for when I got home. Um, that was the sort of way I was viewing it. I knew I'd need some social interaction. Obviously COVID made that more difficult, but having that choice taken away made it a bit easier as well. And I was actually just looking forward to having some time back because I really had been running on fumes for quite a long time. But then I couldn't train really at all for about two weeks, just couldn't do anything. And then I could start to lift a little bit. But I mean, don't really enjoy bench press anyway, so that wasn't much fun. But then I could start to squat, tried to sit on the watt bike, just about died. It felt like I can't even explain how bad the first attempt on the watt bike was. And that sent me back a little bit mentally because I thought, right, you can't even do basic low intensity stuff. How long is this going to go on for? And then just coming up to mid-December, I got I, I, I got ill. I just, I think I got norovirus and was just bed bound for about three or four days feeling absolutely grim. And that was just as I started to get semi-consistent with training again. And I felt like I'd gone massively backwards. And at that point, I kind of, I, I didn't feel great for about a fortnight right up until Christmas. Just because, again, going back to the earlier things, is I got into that headspace where I'd planned and planned and planned and planned and planned, but I'd had too much faith in the plan I'd put in place for myself if that went wrong. So when when plan A fell by the wayside, 
I started to perpetuate those negative things I've done in the past. So drinking a little bit more, not focusing much on sleep. But again, I'm very habitual. I'm sure you guys are too. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will be in that you train, you do certain things at certain times of the day, you base your sleep around what you're doing the following day. But I didn't have as much going on. So everything seemed like I didn't need to keep it in control. Whereas what I now realize and anything in the future is I know that I'll need to almost plan hour by hour, what is your routine going to be after these events that you can execute, even if you're kind of ruined physiologically? Is that get up at seven to walk the dog, then you have a coffee, then you have breakfast. Even just simple things like that, a bit of structure would be massively beneficial for me. And I got a bit complacent this year, thinking that because I had a plan in place, I wasn't going to be affected. But it caught me out again, just because of not really understanding physiologically how I'd be affected and I think it's definitely something for people to consider if they're embarking on a challenge of their own is it's it's the unexpected side effect I guess and you need to try and mimic the excitement and the process that you had before the challenge afterwards a little bit to sort of taper yourself off it because it's um it, it can be it can be quite hard to process especially if things haven't necessarily gone to plan because you can dwell and think negatively on what could have changed. But I think the the short answer is I don't have a strategy per se. All I have is the experiences and the learnings I've had from the past three years. And I'm probably year on year going to implement them into the following year. But as the challenges change, so will the challenges that come afterwards. But it's just trial and error. That's all training is. That's all these things are. It's just learning to, learning to, learning to learn from the challenges of the trial and error and the obstacles will get thrown at me. Always being exactly. a student. Exactly. I think there's some great takeaways for, for everyone, especially during this time as well, is just to to keep your mind busy and always to have some kind of plan like you like you alluded to, after even if it was wake up early to walk the dog, have a coffee, go through emails or whatever. But during this time when so so many people are stuck where they are and people are struggling mentally there are there are small things that even if you don't have a big challenge to do i think for some people a big challenge is going through your day having something to do that brings you a little bit of happiness or a little bit of structure so that can that can translate into any walk of life it doesn't have to be all these big challenges that that we set ourselves on because some people's challenges is is the very next day yeah. especially, especially i think it's um now. I mean, it's relevant to now, but it's relevant to everything. But I think it's finding a sense of predictability in a very unpredictable world. Because, I mean, the more the more you can grab the uncertainty of what's going on at the, at the moment, sort of by, by the neck, the less power it has over you. And I think that's why the more, the more predictability you can put into your own day, when the unpredictable elements get thrown at you, you'll be better prepared for um, not letting those weigh you down too much. And have a I call I call them anchors. Is um I I know what my anchors are in my day to day life. It's training. It's the dogs. It's spending time with her and my girlfriend. It's getting outdoors. It's it's doing the things that I love. And I know that those are my I know objectively those are my anchors. I've learned that through experience. It's not always the easiest thing to do. Sometimes I don't want to get up early to go on a long run, but I know that it's the right thing to do. And it's it's just ruthless repetition that's got me to where I can do that without thinking twice about it because I know how beneficial that's going to be for me. Um, and yeah, I think at the moment, the more we can explore our own anchors, 
what they are, how they manifest themselves, the better prepared we'll be for getting out of the back of this and and beyond. How are you feeling now? How what's been three months since uh, the last challenge? Yeah, I'm uh, back to what, training. What, February the. 15th 15th, 15th. Yeah. um so basically yeah, about bang on three months I'm, I'm i'm good i'm actually very good i'm, I'm f- very content with what's happening next obviously i wish things were a little bit more open up so i could spend some more time with people um interact with the people that i enjoy interacting with Be get into a swimming pool need to get in there pretty pronto given the year i've got coming up um but things could things could be a lot lot worse my end in terms of came out of the back of not feeling all that great about my recovery from Project Vertical, then I'm hit with the, well, you've actually just lost a whole load of strength. You've lost a whole load of aerobic base. So all you've done here is just tank yourself and put yourself on the back foot. But that's come back quickly. I'm enjoying training again. I'm finding it difficult to manage around everything I've got going on. But as I say again, it's one of my anchors. So although difficult, it, it happens. Um, and I've yeah, I've got a pretty clear plan for how I want this year to unfold. If it doesn't go to plan, that's fine, but it's just going to be a case of rolling with the punches and seeing how the next phase of this rather confusing existence we're all in at the moment unfolds. It's uh, surviving to thrive. And yeah, as I mentioned, I'm entering sort of self-employment in March, which is exciting because it finally means I can manage my own time in the way that I f- feel is most productive for me and can do a lot more of the things that I enjoy doing whilst hopefully being able to pay the bills. So that's uh, that's seen me through, and yeah, I, I I just I I miss I miss people. I think is the biggest the biggest element. I'm very lucky to have two dogs and girlfriend in the house that I'm with, and I know a lot of people wouldn't have had the the easiest ride with all this. Human connection is a very important thing, and it's not a luxury. It's not something that we we a lot a lot of people talk about it as if it's something that is is a bolt on that we should be grateful for, but. It's a very, very basic part of being a human being and it's something we've been deprived from. So I uh, I think had I been suffering from depression the way that I was and we were in a situation now, things might have been very different for me. So I can really empathise with those that have been struggling and feel very lucky to have been able to navigate through that. But ultimately that's come from feeling quite fortunate to have survived a suicide attempt and therefore better understood my place in the world and how to interact with it from a personal point of view because I learned lessons that I needed to learn at a young age through a negative experience but it's um, it's made me manage my own day-to-day life a lot better now so for those that are struggling I think it's uh, I feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel but I, I do massively empathise with the lack of human connection because it's definitely what I'm missing the most at the moment as I'm sure you guys are with the broader network that you've got For sure, I echo yeah. all of that. I think naturally we're very yeah. social beings, and to to not have that as something you just do day to day, I think it has a massive mental effect on a lot of people. Um, what have kind of been your go tos then since we've been unable to to socialise as much as we would like to for the last best part of a year? What have you been doing? to kind of um, to solve that I've been I mean for the most part it hasn't really it hasn't really changed too much within the context of the last 12 months I'd say I mean 
once I sort of switch on to a charity project, I don't really socialize an awful lot because I don't really have the time to. I'm sort of training or recovering or nailing a dominoes and a half after a long ride or something. But it's it's not... It, the second half of my year, my socialising periods have tended to be around December and January, and then I kind of go into hibernation mode again, other than the odd coffee here or there and training with people. So the majority of last year, nothing really changed, but I think missing out on December and January made me realise that I just need to get to mates on the phone a little bit more consistently. I mean, we've been speaking if somebody's ever felt like they need to speak, but I think beyond that is actually just picking up the phone for a chat even if you don't feel like you need to, it's just a good thing to, to keep you moving forwards. I'm sick to death of being on a screen so much at this point. So I'm making sure that whenever I can, I'm using my training sessions, not just an opportunity to train, but as an opportunity to change, change scenery. So even if I've got a 30 minute recovery run, I'm not doing it out the front door. I'm, I'm getting a little bit further away. So it's a new, a new, visual representation change of scenery for me and that's been useful um erin and i have sort of been trying to treat weekends as a bit more of an event than we normally would do i guess just just change things up a little bit and go different places try new recipes or try different wines some like just little little simple things has been what's kept me going but it's um watching the rugby recently i've been i've been missing that sort of social interaction that sort of community community excitement that comes from that sort of thing because that's something I always take from it but um, for the majority of last year I was tra- doing all my training with Johnny and we were in the hills together most weekends which was great that was always really important to me but not having the hills has been a struggle for me recently not having people to train with has been a struggle recently I mean I, I do a lot on my own but I do enjoy the interactive element of it but I think um, my strategy has been routine ruthlessly execute the things that I know make me happy, even if sometimes I don't feel like I've got the energy for them. And to try and not let media get me down. I've actually got to the stage where I just spend zero time on Facebook because it's where dreams go to die at the moment. And um, yeah, I, I think not over logic the situation. That's something I've got myself into a bit of a hole on recently as well, is I try and look at data. I try and look at things, look at context, look at what's been said and I just get pissed off and it makes me frustrated for a couple of days so I try and detach myself from media I try and spend as much quality time with Erin and the dogs as I possibly can and I try and do the things that I know make me happy and that's as simple as I can make it at the moment it's very much surviving to thrive and once the world opens back up my god am I going to be appreciative and grateful for all the little things that I can do with people and even just coming down to London to see you lot will be really exciting it'll just seem like it'll seem like a bloody summer holiday so I think uh, the, 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 the positive to come from all this is that Everything's been distilled down to such simple terms that we'll enjoy simple things a lot more than we did previously, which I think is um, is important because it's a very material sort of hedonistic world that we live in. So I think for a lot of people, that'll be a huge bonus. Mm, definitely. And as just to touch on that as well, as as guys that do all these physical challenges, I I think we can we can say the whole world is going through a challenge right now. Not it's not a physical one, but You'll, you'll accept that the hardest part about any big physical challenge is the mental state. So everyone in the world right now is going through, maybe other than New Zealand because they're winning, uh, going, going through a big challenge. So we will learn from this period as, hum- as an entire human society a hugely valuable lesson that 
we take so many things for granted before and there is a huge a huge hope from from me that not just personally i carry this on but everyone else does that when when we do get through this together that that we do really start to appreciate things again because i i also fear because in my head we're getting out of it i don't i don't really listen to the news i it doesn't add value to me i just know that as a person i can't change too much about what's happening so i accept that carry on but what i fear is that we get out of it and we go back to our our old selves and that is something i really don't want to see yeah time will tell uh, time will tell time will tell but hey yeah me too me too Yo, thank you, Pure Sport fan, for tuning in. As a valued listener, we'd like to offer you a 20% discount code site-wide on puresportcbd.com. Use the code PROJECT20 to level up your life. If you like this podcast, like, subscribe, and share with your friends. And remember, no stress, stay blessed, and we'll catch you next time.